This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning. Um, I'm Charlie, and um, I use the pronouns he and they. And uh, thank you to Jiryu. Uh, the Tanto of Green Dragon Temple, uh, for inviting me to speak today. Hmm. So this uh, talk will be about uh, what we could call uh, Zen responsiveness. And I want to relate in particular uh, to a, a common distinction between being reactive and being responsive. And so what's going on in this distinction? or how do I see reactivity and responsiveness in myself and in my process, in my relations and my impacts? Uh, reactivity uh, usually refers to like a strong kind of knee-jerk reaction. It can include strong emotions. It could also include, you know, shutdown or uh, denial or just a, an assumption or a snap judgment uh, defensiveness resistance and so on and responsiveness then involves something more considered some a more careful uh, process a more careful integration of intentions values appreciation of consequences um, and responsiveness, I think, you know, particularly points to like my inner process and that how that then process unfolds into expression and relationality. And, you know, I think a common feeling I have when I'm reactive is I don't feel like I'm in charge of my action. I'm being used um, by what's happening. And I might do something I regret. And reactivity, I think it, you know, it doesn't only need to refer to like an immediate reaction. It can be long or slow. It can last a long time. We can, or it can be in a reactive state for a long time. And um, when I look at reactivity, I see it uh, lacking curiosity, while responsiveness you know, can embrace like ever widening circles of inquiry. And, you know, this, and this can in turn allow for, you know, integration of values and so on. And reactivity, I think can often, you know, uh, lean on or involve uh, stories of blame. And with responsiveness, I feel like accepting responsibility owning more clearly uh, my part of what's happening and also allowing you know, for more complexity, um, difference, and also um, possibility. Uh, reactivity uh, may, I think, you know, especially arise with challenging conditions, you know, especially something unexpected, unwanted, uh, some stress, tension, chaos, uh, uncertainty, 
perceived danger, you know, being hurt. And so, you know, depending on our conditioning, um, we may each have, you know, very specific uh, triggers. And then along with those specific reactive formations. And then reactivity, we can look at that as just describing a whole territory of conditioning. Like a landscape of conditions and conditioned responses, triggers and habitual responses, some particular to my, um, my life, some to particular to my family, my upbringing, um, my, uh, to when and where I grew up, my, my uh, cultural settings. And reactivity, I would also offer, is usually involves acting out my conditioning in ways that perpetuate that conditioning. Responsiveness, we can also look at that as a territory or a complex field um, or a path through the territory of reactivity, you know, a path of opening or a path of um, bringing light and awareness to the usually unconscious territory of reactivity. Um, and in this way, responsiveness is not exactly opposed to reactivity, you know, which would just be another layer of reactivity, which we probably actually all have. <laughs> and that also just, again, has a perpetuating function, you know, things like uh, shame or self-hate could be reactivity layer on top of reactivity that perpetuates the whole thing. Responsiveness is intimate with reactivity and through intimacy opens into, you know, transforming the field of conditioning in a process of uh, healing and liberation. So in terms of emptiness or the truth of relationship, like reactivity in, the, in this talk is enacting and perpetuating separation and suffering and responsiveness, opening connection and uh, actualizing relationality. And also just at the outset, I just wanna offer that responsiveness um, flows or thrives with uh, space-making practices. So responsiveness needs space. And depending on this context, that could include temporal space, just like giving something time, uh, spatial space, you know, some distance. Also, um, social or emotional, conceptual and experiential space. You know, space to feel, space to wonder, to question, inquire, space to move, you know, space around uh, my stories my views, my uh, memories, or you could say space with, you know, feelings, urges, pain, uh, hurt, um, or a space, a pause or disruption, or just a slowing down in the flow of disconnection, of busyness, grasping, conditioning, suffering. And so uh, stillness, in our sitting practice, 
uh, is not about becoming non-relational or cutting off, but a, a space-making or a space-opening uh, practice. So we, we have this, uh, we have, this is a, I, I see this as a really deep aspect of what we have in, in this, what's offered through this sitting practice. Opening space. So I want to bring up um, two uh, closely related koans, or they might be they might be one koan, but they, they seem to be two koans. <laughs> there and so it's Blue Cliff Record, uh, cases fourteen and fifteen, and both of these uh, cases um, there's a monastic who questions uh, the Zen teacher, uh, Yunmen. And Yunmen lived uh, 862 to 949, and he taught in Southern China. So case 14, a monk asked Yunmen, what are the teachings of the Buddha's whole lifetime? And Yunmen said, an appropriate statement. And so this, um, so this, uh, an appropriate statement, this response, it's uh, three Chinese characters. And um, actually, I'm going to put this in the chat. I'm going to put the koan and the kanji in the chat. Let's see if this can work. All right, hopefully that's there. Um, if you can't see that, it's okay. <laughs> and so, that, so these three characters, there's Thai, which means uh, facing, responding, answering, replying, or meeting. And then there's ichi, uh, one, or someone. And then there's uh, setsu, and which could mean statement, speak, talk, teach, preach, explain, express, expound. And so this, you know, this, um, the translation by Thomas Cleary, an appropriate statement. This is, you know, facing, responding, meeting, one, each one, each particular situation, question, being, moment, and then statement, expression, teaching, talk. So there's, this is kind of dense language. And um, so there's a lot of possibilities for translation. Um, so, you know, an appropriate statement, a teaching in accordance, uh, one preaching in response, uh, talk facing each one, um, a fitting reply, or speaking in tune with particular occasions. The uh, question here is asking for the essence of the Buddha's uh, whole life of teaching. Um, we, we could also look at this as saying, what does awakening do? Or how does Buddha manifest? We could also, it could also be, what are we here for? And so in response, Yunman points to this um, intimate uh, responsiveness, a responsiveness that, you know, meets, accords with, 
or is appropriate to each question, each seeking heart, uh, each moment, each situation. Um, meeting each situation is meeting myself and meeting uh, what's happening and, you know, and the dynamics of this encounter as it, as it's always unfolding. So opening to the conditions here, opening to my reactivity, my field of conditioning, you know, arising with in, in uh, response to these circumstances. And when I'm caught by my reactivity, I'm going through the motions of my past conditioning, my old pattern. So react, and so reactivity has this, it's kind of closed or tight or cramped. And there isn't this space to receive or explore. Well, how is this not like the past? How is this like nothing I've ever seen before? So being, you know, like a sensitivity, uh, an alertness, uh, an aliveness to fully meeting um, what's happening. And that's where an appropriate response or an intimate response, you know, can arise. I'm seeing um, cultivating responsiveness uh, in terms of you know, softening with reactivity. You know, softening with and softening in, you know, what's happening. And softening especially with uh, discomfort, uh, with pain, you know, with uh, hard stuff. You know, it's like soft uh, belly. Soft diaphragm, uh, soft heart, soft uh, neck, uh, soft face, uh, soft eyes, jaw, mouth, uh, soft head, soft uh, shoulders, soft back. Soft hands, you know, so to experience and really feel and befriend, you know, my pain, my discomfort, my uh, grasping, uh, clenching, you know, defensive postures, uh, holding. And, you know, as I'm softening, if I meet something hard, be soft with that. So opening a kind uh, space, right? You know, a, a capacious heart, and you know, being a being a kind friend, you know, to my reactivity, uh, to whatever I'm working with, you know, to my fear, uh, my wounding, uh, my brokenness, and this is caring for a body of responsiveness. So when I'm fully home, fully here, I'm more receptive, I can listen more deeply and develop, you know, an intimate relational presence. And coupled with this inner work, you know, to actualize an appropriate response, an appropriate statement, uh, an intimate response, a real sense of connection, 
I need to show up. I need to be willing to manifest, you know, to expose something of what's in my heart and my belly and how things are uh, sitting with me here. And so how connection is real for us um, right here is not a fixed thing. It's dynamic and relational and always um, happening anew. And so this appropriate responsiveness is it's, it's not so much about like knowing um, and more about a, a sense of inquiry and openness. You know, what's here? What is this meeting? What is, what is, the, what is connecting here? And so making space, you know, frees up a capacity, you know, to meet and accord and some room to move and be flexible in responsiveness. And, you know, I also feel this like being a student of this interaction, um, of this moment, of this meeting. Um, a few weeks ago, I was um, standing in um, the kitchen of our house, um, and without warning, my son, uh, Loka, who's nine years old, uh, came up behind me and jumped on my back. And a few days before this, we were in a grocery store, and he was jumping on my back repeatedly. And it was, it was just like having fun in the grocery store, and I knew it was coming. So I could brace myself each time he jumped on my back. And he's like, you know, he's, in, he's like, you know, he's a kid and he has this, he has a lot of energy. He has a need for play and also a need for, you know, body to body, uh, physical contact, you know, something vigorous. Um, so, but you know, when I was standing in the kitchen and I didn't know he was even in the same room, I was not bracing myself. And you know he's he's um, he's about ninety pounds now, and so this was an unexpected moment, and it was a surprise, and it was painful, and it was also I had I had some fear that this could hurt me, this could injure me, um, and so I had I had so I had an immediate reaction, and it was kind of a kind of an angry reaction. I was like, "Ouch! You know, get off." Um, you know, kind of a, a flash of anger in response to kind of like what I experienced it as like a, a sneak attack, you know. So noticing this anger, as soon as Loka got off my back, my, my first thought was like, you know, find some space. So uh, pause, you know, don't, don't have any more interaction yet. Um, because I could feel I was not fully stable with my anger. And my anger, and that not feeling fully stable or safe with my anger, that's my part of my reactive field, part of my conditioning. And responsiveness is where I'm going to uh, work with interrupting that stream of passing on to Loka some of the conditioning that I received and that shaped me. So I took a few steps into the kitchen and drank a sip of water and breathed, you know, just took a few breaths. And then, you know, and I could see like, okay, you know, he was not, a pre he was not attacking me. 
he just wanted to connect. And like we connected, you know, in the, um, the frozen foods aisle. You know? And so in that space, I could open to something, you know, a little more complex. So I experienced an attack. He was doing this playful act of reaching for a connection. These, and these are kind of, you know, these both happened. And so then I could turn around and meet his desire to connect. And also, you know, try to help him understand how he has to be developing more carefulness with his, with his strength and his size as he grows. And so, you know, taking a breath or taking a step or slowing down, you know, creating some space to feel and explore and allow, you know, a quality of relationality to shift in that space to something more present, uh, intimate and responsive, you know, an opening to more complexity and allowing, you know, for some contradiction, you know, some difference, you know, and this is the openness and inclusion of both and versus the kind of uh, contraction or exclusion of either or. You know, resist uh, the seduction of reduction. Um, you know, reactivity often lacks the spaciousness of imagination. Um, responsiveness uh, doesn't need to negate the small story of the reactive field. It can open around it. It can open to some, a wider sense of what's happening, even with the reactivity. Um, you know, again, like it can't control my way or judge my way out of my reactivity. It's a process of, you know, illumination. And then responsiveness, you know, is this more expansive possibility, you know, more dynamic, engaging imagination. And always a work in progress, you know, open-ended and uh, relational. So like, uh, entering a flow or a space of mutuality and reciprocity, you know, so not looking for uh, closure, not, maybe not groping for closure, and not, you know, seeking a one-size-fits-all, you know, response or truth or expression. And so I, I did not uh, choose my conditioning, you know, but responsiveness unfolds with choosing to accept responsibility for it, you know, to care for my reactive field and with time, you know, transform that field, heal wounds, uh, release old patterns. And, you know, opening then a kind of a receptivity to be impacted, to be shaped by each one you know, meeting one response or talk. You know. I think sometimes um, cancel culture, you know, can be a collective form of reactivity. You know, something's called out and rather than engaging in conversations that might be challenging or uncomfortable, uh, a reactive snap judgment and relegation which, you know, tends not to be transformative and kind of maybe cuts off uh, some possibilities for restoration. 
So hurtful actions need to be addressed, you know, but, but a reactive way is not going to um, release the field of conditioning, individual or collective. You know, so enacting a kind of shame-driven shutdown or abandonment is um, like a shadow side of accountability, lacking space, and, you know, cutting off a conversation or um, process of restoration. You know, so, so uh, what's a more responsive relational approach? You know, inviting each other to work together through something difficult and opening into a mutuality of actual conversation, creating you know, this moment together. Uh, the Bodhisattva vow uh, is not turning my back on any being. And the old comments in the Blue Cliff record of this case you know, include some phrases like, um, entering mud and water, to die and be born together with you, stretching out the body in the tiger's mouth, and following you for a thousand or 10,000 miles. So I hear these as, as um, like a Zen way of talking about love and not a kind of safe or comfortable kind of love, but a love of, you know, walking into birth and death, you know, holding hands uh, together with all beings. And so this is this, uh, this is the whole life of awakening uh, or uh, responsiveness. Um, so then, um, then I want to turn to case 15. So here's, it's a very, it's a very um, anyway, closely related story. A monk asked Yunmen, when it's not the present intellect and it's not the present phenomena, what is it? And Yunmen said, an upside down statement. So I'll put that in the chat. So um, this upside down statement is also a three kanji and only one kanji different, only one character is different. So the first character is to and meaning topple, upset, turn over, invert, uh, mistaken. So then, and then the second character is again ichi, one, and the third character is setsu, statement, expression, teaching, you know, talk. So the first one is Tai Isetsu, the second one, case 15, To Isetsu. And so this is another kind of more, another kind of dense language response and, you know, very, you know, and very similar to this other, this appropriate statement. And some other translations are preaching in reverse, uh, one teaching upside down, uh, talk turning over each one. Uh, turn that statement around, overturn this statement. And some commentaries uh, say that the monk in this case is the same as in the previous case. 
Um, some suggest this is a follow-up question. Um, I looked back and there's like a, a record of Yunmen and in, and, and in his recorded sayings, um, these two stories are very far apart. So the recorded sayings make it look like they're two different events, but so we don't really know. Um, yeah, and so this, and this question, you know, and part of how it's seen as a follow-up question is, you know, an appropriate statement would fit the present intellect and the present phenomena, like, you know, mind and things, what's appropriate to this. And then so saying, well, aside from that stuff, you know, what's appropriate to, you could say, ultimate truth? What, what about Buddha nature? What about awakening? How do you meet that? Apart from mind, apart from things, like, what about that? And so then this Yunman's response, an upside down statement, you know, then we could hear that saying, that question is upside down. That question is diluted. It needs to be uh, turned over. You know, the monk is trying to grasp at some ultimate truth apart from uh, conventional truth, apart from everyday stuff. You know, some true nature, some awakening, apart from just this, these circumstances, mind and things right here. And, um, you know, and there's, there's like, um, we do, we do, we do hear teachings that you cannot grasp awakening through or in, you know, uh, what's happening in mind or things. You can't grasp it. But we also uh, can't realize or actualize awakening apart from just this, you know, because it's, it's, it's embedded, it's unfolding here. In a broader sense, we could also look at an upside down statement as you know, pointing to uh, the space, uh, the possibility uh, or freedom you know, which can open and releasing or disrupting any form of uh, grasping or holding. And so, you know, case 14, an appropriate statement or intimate responsiveness. And we might say, you know, case 15, an upside down statement, top turning over each one. This is together about a liberative responsiveness, a responsiveness, um, is intimate and this intimacy involves a turning over, a releasing of grasping. And we could also say this is to get close and to let go. And affirming both of these, you know, because getting close is not holding on, letting go is not getting far away. Responsiveness is getting close and letting go. And this is this is this is uh, intimacy, softening, and it's a paradigm of relationality. And holding on, and grasping, or getting far away—that's a paradigm of that's enacting a paradigm of separation. Uh, there is an image in the um, verse of case fifteen of uh, dividing one token or dividing a tally. And this can refer to in taking something whole um, and, you know, usually like a piece of bamboo 
um, I think it could be other other types of material. Um, and there might be something written on it, or just one, or a word, or some, some, some way of having an agreement, or mutual recognition, and you break it in half, but then you have these two halves that could be fit exactly together. And um, I hear this as an, as an image of connectedness, or kind of, of connectedness in differentiation. It's like dynamic connectedness. Um, intimacy is not becoming undifferentiated. It's not like a disappearing into oneness. Um, and this is, this is important for how an appropriate response does arise. And so it's not traversing separation to actualize some kind of perfect meeting. Every meeting is already intimate, you know, two pieces of a divided token. Uh, one of my triggers is um, being honked at when I'm driving a car. And this is, this is just part of my particular reactive field, you know, with these you know, deep roots in my childhood and the kind of reactivity I experienced, you know, while being a car passenger. And so now it's inside of me. And when a beep or a honk um, comes, um, I experience a jolt, um, a kind of uh, a jolt of I'm not okay, or I don't matter. Um, and I didn't, you know, again, I didn't choose this. And but appreciating that it's actually not personal in that way is, you know, can support me in just accepting responsibility for it, you know, without trying to deny it or hide it or get away from it or shame it out of existence. And so this jolt is pretty uncomfortable for me. And this car honk is the trigger. So, you know, this is partially studying a trigger, you know, and, you know, and I, I'm, I'm offer a trigger here as a kind of an uncomfortable tip of a complex of conditioning. And so working with my triggers, you know, then in, uh, involves a journey, you know, through rather than away from my uncomfortable stuff. You know, and I see this as kind of vital to responsiveness. And so in this particular case, um, there's, a, there's a core pain or a kind of woundedness of this not feeling okay or not mattering or feeling uh, isolated. And I could react to this by seeing the car honk as an attack and it's causing this pain. But really the car honk is coming, up, um, coming way after the establishment of this wound. So it's just, it has very little actually to do with the real pain. The pain really belongs to me. And I can try to fix this pain in various um, reactive ways. I can just try to, try to, I'm okay. You're okay, Charlie. I can try to you know, just talk over it and fix it. Um, but, you know, I, I attempts to control and manipulate are often reactive. And what I find healing 
is uh, intimacy or, you know, softening, you know, soft belly, soft heart, or, you know, breathing, breathing into it and allowing for some spaciousness, uh, something tender. And what's healing is not for me to blame my pain on someone else or to talk over it and try to fix it, but to connect with it. At its root, I see it as a wound of disconnection. So reactivity as a paradigm of separation is only gonna perpetuate or recreate or deepen such a wound. So healing involves a paradigm shift and a turning over, an upside down statement. Healing is not covering over or getting rid of or not feeling or avoiding woundedness, but a dynamic process in relation to the wound. You know, becoming relational with the hurt and the pain and the disconnection or being wronged. So deep healing involves a paradigm shift, you know, from the conditions through which the wounding took place, shifting to a paradigm of uh, connection. And then there's this opportunity that when I get haunted, maybe I won't be so driven by that beep. You know, and that I can I can drive the car. But rather than being driven, you know, so also I can be I can be driven by my conditioning to you know vigorously avoid doing something that might lead someone to honk at me, you know, but then I'm not fully in charge of my driving. And not taking full responsibility for you know being with my triggers, my conditioning and, and pain. And in a similar way, you know, Zazen is um, being in the driver's seat and not being controlling, which is a form of grasping, but being intimate and responsive with, you know, fear, anger, woundedness, so that I'm not driven. Uh, Zazen can be finding myself on a seat of connection and belonging and mattering in a true sense. You know, intimately feeling the pain of I'm not okay or I don't matter or not belonging is itself, you know, sitting on this seat of connection and belonging. You know, so the monk's question can be trying to grasp awakening apart from what's happening here. And sitting with confidence or faith in true nature or Buddha nature is to be totally intimate with this person. Uh, deep willingness to manifest as I am. You know, to show up here as this sentient being. And, you know, the, uh, grasping uh, releases through intimacy. Sometimes a release is not available. You know, our, our path to release or in release is, is unique and particular with its own, you know, turns and uh, unfolding. But, you know, developing some intimacy is always available. So I can't control myself into releasing grasping, but I can become aware of my efforts to control and opening a kind, you know, welcoming space 
as a medium of uh, responsiveness. So, you know, getting to know my triggers so I can turn around and meet things in a different way. Um, reactivity gives triggers, my triggers, a lot of power over my life. And then seeing how, well, the, the, my triggers are not out there, they're in here. Then, you know, I can welcome what's coming. And that there's not something going wrong in the universe. I just, I live in a world filled with um, potentially triggering events. And I'm part of this world uh, for everyone else. So I, you know, that I, my actions can be triggering for others is also part of, you know, responsiveness. And the conditioning I don't illuminate shows up in my behavior for others, you know, all the time, which is, you know, one of the things we can study in Sangha and also you know, any relationship. Um, Zen uh, sometimes celebrates spontaneity. And I would offer that this, this spontaneity is um, not the kind of spontaneous reflex of reactivity but a responsive spontaneity, you know, flowing with intimacy and relational presence. And, um, <clears throat> and I would also offer that this responsiveness is not necessarily that I'm calm all the time. Sometimes an appropriate intimate response is passionate and intense. It can be, a, you know, an upside down statement can be a shout. It could also be something you know, very soft. A spontaneity is fully being this person. And what's spontaneous about it, I think, is that we, we can't see what, you know, my life in the next moment of relationality is going to be. Because it's not um, happening in terms of my ideas or my thinking. It's always in a dynamic flux because it's completely relational. Think, always open to surprise, allowing each moment, each meeting to be a process of uh, discovery. Um, reactivity, you know, can be uh, harmful to my relationships, and you know it functions to replicate trauma and harm. And this can apply to close um, family relations and also function on collective levels to maintain like systemic harm. Yeah. Systemic harm of like racism, patriarchy, other forms of oppression. You know, the harm and unskillfulness I receive can be the harm and unskillfulness I give. And so transforming reactivity, I, I would offer is liberating my entire field of relationality. Um, we are uh, intimate with all beings. We are uh, creatures of connection. And the quality of relationships, of our relationships, makes a huge difference in our flourishing. 
So how do I show up fully uh, for the relationships of this life? And is there something more important than how we show up for each other? And you know how we walk into birth and death, uh, holding hands together with all beings. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our programs are made possible by the donations we receive. Please help us to continue to realize and actualize the practice of giving by offering your financial support. For more information, visit sfzc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.